Welcome to Mythologies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, how's it going? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Um, I've been talking about my thesis like a bunch of different episodes, but now I'm like actually starting it, so that's pretty exciting. Awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting. I'm glad you're getting to start it. Yeah, I had to change my research question, but oh. that's fine. Yeah. It's still the same general topic, but now I'm doing, like, non-native English speakers and, like, if they would prefer to use English when talking about mental health issues. But mm. I, I, have, I don't have my, like, specific research question, but I really need to do that, like, in the next couple of days. But um, that's mm-hmm. the general topic. Yeah, so it's, like, more specific. Yeah, exactly. It was mm-hmm. too broad before, unfortunately. Yeah, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. How are you? I'm good. I've had a few days off of work uh, more than usual, so that's been nice. I've been chilling. I've been doing a lot of reading. That's nice. Uh, So that's been good. Mm -hmm. So Lizzie, you did the research, so who are we talking about this week? Today, we're talking about the crane wife from Japanese folklore. Oh! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because when you texted me, like, before, like, oh, you're listening to The Crane Wife by the Decemberists, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, no, I, also, I was just um, excited you were listening to The Decemberists. I, wasn't I know, even thinking I was like, about oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was listening to it because I know you like them, and that album kept coming up in my research. Also, uh-huh. um, you don't know this audience, but I'm wearing a shirt that has cranes on it for thematic dressing up. Awesome. Maybe I'll take a screenshot later and we can post it with the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a crane-themed day. Um, But I actually changed it to this like an hour ago for recording. Amazing. We love it. Anyway, (laughs) the crane wife. Do you know this story? Um, So vaguely, I mean, I've listened to the songs, but... Yes, you have. (laughs) I don't know it exactly. I I want to hear you say it. Well, that's good because we're talking about it today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are actually two very similar folktales. The first one is called Tsuru no Angaishi, which means the crane's return of a favor or the grateful crane. And the second is called Tsuru Niobo or the crane wife. Um, They're basically, they're similar, but I'm going to tell two different versions. Okay. Um, So unfortunately, I don't really have any historical background or etymology for you today. I will say, however, that the crane has great symbolic significance in Japan, as well as in many other places. In Japan, cranes represent longevity and good fortune because of their fabled lifespan of a thousand years. Oh. There is an ancient Japanese legend that says if you fold a thousand origami cranes, a crane will grant you a wish. Yes, I was thinking about the the paper cranes when you were talking about that. Yes, I also had to read that in elementary school. I know about you, <laughs> that book. I didn't read it, but I remember like seeing it and like hearing about the story. If, yeah. If you fold a thousand paper cranes, you get a wish or something. Yeah, and there's a book based on that. Yeah. So the crane is also the subject of haiku poetry and of iconography in Japan in general, for example, in the logo of Japan Airlines. Mm. So now the first story, which is the crane's return of a favor. Once upon a time, there was a poor young man working on his farm. 
As he was working, suddenly a white crane fell down from the sky and landed at his feet. The young man noticed that there was an arrow piercing the bird's wing, having been attacked by a hunter, so he decided to take care of the crane and nurse it back to health. He removed the arrow and tended to the wound until the crane could fly again. He advised the crane to avoid hunters, and the crane flew away. After working the rest of the day, the farmer returned home to find a beautiful young woman waiting for him. She said that she was his wife now, to which the young man replied that he was poor and didn't have the means to take care of her. The woman said that that wasn't a problem because she had plenty of rice and so the two of them could live together happily. As it turned out, the rice that she brought with her never diminished and the bag always remained full no matter how much rice they ate. Eventually, the man's new wife asked him to build her a weaving room. When the young man finished building it, she made him promise that he would never come inside no matter what. Mm. After he promised her, she locked herself in the weaving room for seven whole days before coming out. When she emerged, she had weaved a beautiful piece of cloth, which she told the young man to go and sell at the marketplace for a large sum. He did so, and they got a good price for the cloth. After that, the woman returned to her weaving room to weave a new piece. However, the man became curious as to how she wove such a beautiful item and decided to peek into the weaving room. Mm -hmm. What he saw was that instead of his wife, there was a crane in front of the loom, plucking out its own feathers and using them as thread. When the crane saw him, it said, I am the crane that you saved. I wanted to repay you and so I became your wife. But now that you've seen me, I can't stay here any longer. And with that, she flew away and never returned. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar? Yeah, it does. It sounds a lot like the, the songs. So oh. pretty close <laughs> to the great. story. And nice. it also sounds it sounds similar to some other stories, but I don't know if you want to get into... What stories did you think that they sounded like? Uh, it sounds like Eros and Psyche from Greek mm -hmm. mythology. Psyche being told that she can never look at Eros and her getting curious and looking at him and then being punished for that. Um, a little bit of Rumpelstiltskin just because of the weaving ah, in general. Okay. I mean, in general, there are just so many stories that are like, I'm going to do this thing but you have to promise not to do this, like not look. And of course, the person always looks. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and there are also just so many stories that are, I think it's like a big motif in like Irish folklore that's like, oh, you rescue this animal. And then it turns out it was secretly like a fairy or a goddess or something. And now they're going to repay you or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, it's a fun motif. It really is. I wish you could mention Eros and Psyche later. But the other ones, uh, not really. Mm -hmm. But anyway, for the second version, the crane wife. There was a man called Kuroku who lived with his elderly mother on a mountain where he made charcoal for a living. One winter, he was heading toward the village to buy some bedding for him and his mother when he came across a crane that had been caught in a trap. Kuroku went to release the crane when the man who had set the trap came running over and admonished him for interfering in his business. Kuroku offered to buy the crane from him using the money that he had intended for the new bedding. The crane flew away once it was freed. Kuroku returned home. The next evening, a beautiful young woman came to their house and asked to spend the night there. Kuroku said that his hut was too small and he was poor, but she insisted, and in the end, he allowed her to stay. During the evening, she said that she had something she wished to talk to him about, and told him that she wished to marry him. Okay. He replied that he had never seen such a beautiful woman as her, and that he was very poor, so there was no way he could provide for her, such as she needed. But she begged him to make her his wife. He accepted, and then they were married. A little while after, Kuroku's new wife requested that he put her in a cabinet and leave her there for three days. She told him to close the door very tightly, and not to open it until she came out. He did so, and on the fourth day, she emerged, having woven a beautiful cloth. She told Kuroku to sell it for a good price, and so he took it to the lord of the province, who paid 3,000 ryo for it, and asked for another one just like it. 
When he told his wife this, she requested he shut her in the cabinet for one week this time so that she could weave another. She told him once again not to open the cabinet door. By the time the week was nearly over, Kuroku began to worry for his wife, so he opened the cabinet door to ask her if she was alright. Inside the cabinet, there was a crane that had all of its feathers plucked out and was weaving the feathers into the cloth. The crane said to him, I have finished the cloth, but since you have seen who I really am, I'm afraid you can no longer love me. I must return to my home. I am not a human, but the crane that you rescued. Please take the cloth to the Lord as you promised. After having said this, she flew away. As she did this, thousands of cranes appeared, taking her with them. But this story doesn't end there. Mm. So Kuroku had at this point become a very rich man, but he missed his wife and longed for her. He traveled throughout Japan looking for her, but couldn't find her anywhere. One day he was resting by the seashore when an old man rode to shore on a boat. Kuroku asked where he came from, and he said he came from an island called the Robe of Crane Feathers. Kuroku eagerly asked if the old man could take him to the island, and the man agreed. They arrived at a beautiful white beach, and once Kuroku had left the boat, the old man rode away. Kuroku walked up the shore and eventually came to a beautiful pond. In the middle of the pond, there was an island, and on the island stood that naked crane. She was surrounded by a myriad of cranes because she was the queen of the cranes. Oh. I know. It's a pretty fun detail. Kuroku stayed a little while on the island and was given a feast. Afterward, the old man returned with the boat, and Kuroku had to return home. The end. Oh, wow. I know. It ends, like, a little abruptly, I feel like, but... Mm-hmm. Because it's, yeah. like... I don't know. Like, was there a nice reunion? I don't know. But... It was... Yeah. It was only temporary. Exactly. They only could be in each mm-hmm. other's lives for, like, temporary mm-hmm. parts of time. Anyway, yeah. though, what do you think? So... Just to get this out of the way, because it's on my mind. <laughs> if she had plucked all her feathers out, how could she fly away? That's a fair point. I know it doesn't matter, but that's on my I mind. I hadn't even Anyways. thought of that. <laughs> Can't birds fly because of their hollow bones? I mean, it helps, but, like, the feathers are what they need in order to, like, lift them off the ground, maybe I thought. Maybe that's why the other cranes came to help her. Yeah, that, that was sort of what I was thinking, is she was going to fly away, and then, like, all the cranes came to, like, lift her up. Yeah. But she didn't fly by herself. Because <laughs> I don't think that's how bird aerodynamics works, but I am not an ornithologist, so. Fair enough. I don't know either. Second of all, I think it's interesting that in this one, it seems he was motivated to check on her, not because he was just, like, curious or wondering what was Mm -hmm. going on, but because he actually really cared about his wife and he, like, wanted to make sure she hadn't, like, died in the cabinet. Yeah, exactly. That she was been in for an entire week. Like, I think that's very understandable, personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. It made, like, it's a bit more sympathetic. I mean, I think the guy's pretty sympathetic in general. I don't really feel like he's a bad person. But, like, in general, like, I think it very much is, like, fair that he would want to check on his wife after she's been in a cabinet for almost a week. I agree. And I think it's also excusable in these types of stories in general, especially in, like, Eros and Psyche. They should be able to know what their spouse looks like. Yeah. And I think it was interesting, like, specifically the phrasing of, now you've seen who I really am. Like, we can't be married anymore. It's like... Exactly. The implications of that are very interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm wondering if you're probably going to talk more about that later, but, like... Say what's on your mind. Okay. I'll speak my truth. Um <laughs> <laughs> Basically, if you're in a relationship, the idea that if you show who you truly are to your partner, that automatically means that your relationship has to end. And you, if you're 
always have to like be hiding some part of yourself from your partner in order for the relationship to work. That feels like a pretty depressing view of relationships mm-hmm. and like an unhealthy view of relationships. And so I think it's interesting that it's like, well, she had to be hiding it from him. And when he found out, they had to stop. There was some sort of like constraint, like there's some sort of contract or clause that was keeping them from being like wholly together and knowing everything about each other. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's just really interesting. And I think like, you know, very much a commentary on like societal roles within a marriage Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, I just think that's really interesting view of how marriages and relationships are supposed to work, possibly yeah. in, like, the society that the crane wife exists in. I actually didn't even talk about that, so you're spot on. Yeah, I thought you probably would be. And then I think that it's interesting he gets to go see her again, but it's very temporary, and then yeah. you have to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, they just can't go back to the way things were before. I think the queen of the cranes detail was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I don't know anything more to say about that, but I think it's pretty fun. Yeah, well, my thought is like, as the queen of the cranes, well, she probably might have had more like authority and like autonomy than maybe the other cranes because she's the queen. She can do whatever she wants. So maybe she could like stay with this guy for a while. Yeah, and maybe because she was the queen, she has like more powers and that's why she was able to like lead yeah. and like be a woman and stuff. Yeah. But then also, like, maybe she couldn't stay away from her people forever, and maybe even if he hadn't walked in to, like, see her true identity, she would have lived him at some point because she had her other duties. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. So first I want to talk about how the crane wife is just one example of a larger theme in Japanese folktales that Fumihiko Kobayashi refers to as animal wife tales. Hmm. These involve the marriage or cohabitation between an animal woman and a human man. Some other examples from Japan include the frog wife, which involves a man rescuing a frog from a snake, and then the frog wife momentarily leaves to grieve a family member, and then the man sees a bunch of frogs in a pond and throws a rock at them, and the wife comes home wounded. When the wife realizes that her husband is the one who threw the rock and he has discovered her true form, she leaves. Mm-hmm. I thought you would like that one. I do like that one. I do like the idea of a frog Not the wife. throwing the rocks at the frogs, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also the clam wife, where a man saves a clam, and the clam wife cooks him soup every day. Then one day he discovers her urinating clam juice into the pot. <laughs> That's so interesting. I thought that was pretty fun. Of all the animals to have as, like, an, an animal wife to choose a clam. I, I think that's that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, snake wife, which involves a man rescuing a snake. Then the snake wife becomes pregnant and confines herself to a hut while she's pregnant. But the husband peeks into the hut and sees a snake. So she leaves him with the child, but also gouges out one of her eyes so the child can lick it when it wants milk. Okay. Yep. <laughs> There's also a fox wife, a cat wife, and a fish wife or tortoise wife. Hmm. Those all make sense. Yeah. I believe the crane wife is the most well-known out of all mm-hmm. of these. There are examples of these in other cultures as well, but Kobayashi notes that what makes Japanese animal wife tales different is that it's the animal woman who knocks on the door of the man's house, and it's the animal woman who leaves the man. Some examples of animal wife tales from other cultures include the Scottish selkie wife, or seal wife, and mm-hmm. the Korean pond snail wife. In the selkie wife tale, the man captures the selkie who reluctantly marries him. Yeah. The man steals her skin, and she tries to leave him by looking for her skin. When she eventually finds it, she turns back into a selkie and escapes. In the pond snail wife tale, a man hears a woman's voice in a field where he then discovers a pond snail, which he brings back home with him. After he does that, when he returns home for the day, there is always a home-cooked meal waiting for him. He discovers that the pond snail has turned into a woman, and that she cooked the meals for him. 
The man captures her and takes her as his wife, but then a feudal lord steals her away. The man dies of sadness, and the pawn snail wife takes her own life. Wow. The ending to this tale can vary regionally and sometimes involves a happy ending where the couple defeat the feudal lord and then happily ever after. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. Kobayashi also mentions the story of Melusine, who is a figure from European folklore, usually French, who is a serpent or fish from the waist down and marries a nobleman, who she makes promise to give her privacy while she bathes. When she realizes that he has seen her bathing and discovered her true form, she leaves him. Mm -hmm. There are also a number of other stories you could compare to the crane wife, for example, the Norwegian folktale East of the Sun, West of the Moon, or the Chinese legend of the White Snake, or a story that Scheherazade tells in A Thousand and One Nights about a man who marries a tortoise. We don't have time to get into all of that, but generally the archetype of a marriage or cohabitation between a human and a non-human, or specifically between a human man and an animal wife, is extremely common in many parts of the world. Kobayashi mentions in the article, is the animal woman a meek or an ambitious figure in Japanese folktales, an examination of the appeal of Japanese animal wife tales, that one thing that distinguishes Japanese animal wife tales from animal wife tales from other places, and also one of the main things that makes this tale type notable, is that it's the animal wife who approaches the man. One reason this is notable is because it involves a reversal of what's expected of women to be the one who initiates the cohabitation and who actively seeks out the man. Mm. This is atypical according to the social order of Japan, as typically noted in folktales, where there was a general attitude of gentlemen first, ladies second, such that even gods and goddesses had to adhere to it. In this way, the appeal to the animal wife tales is the gap between reality and fantasy, a gap that is common in folklore in general, and is in this case meant to evoke surprise or even humor. In this way, we can read animal wife stories such as the crane wife as a sort of punishment to women who initiate romantic contact with men. Huh, yeah. That is one interpretation. I want to know what you think is the moral of the story. Gosh. Well, so now that you've said that, I'm thinking a lot about the question of respecting boundaries mm -hmm. in a relationship. And so in the story, like you said, in these stories, we see a woman who approaches a man willingly to start a relationship, which, as you said, goes against the general social order, which mm -hmm. says that men approach women and initiate romantic relationships. And in this relationship, we have a woman who sets a specific boundary. We have the woman who says, I'm going to make this sewing room or like this weaving room or I'm just going to go into this cupboard or whatever and you can do anything else but you can't come in here and then we see that boundary eventually being violated and that causes the end of the relationship. So now I'm wondering if possibly we can interpret the story as being a moral that you need to respect boundaries in relationships possibly. That's true, yeah. I mean I think you could say that it's a punishment for women who approach men for romantic relationships, but I don't think that's really the case. I think that um, in a lot of the times, even though the woman's approaching the man, the man actually is doing the action first. It's not like the woman just saw the man and was like, oh, that's a nice looking man. I'm going to go like talk to him. Yeah, like she's trying to repay him. Yeah, it's a repayment. There's some sort of exchange going on. Like he saved her life and she's like, okay, now I'm going to marry you. So there's still like some level of exchange and it's not just totally the woman's free will. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really think it's like necessarily a punishment for um, a woman like deciding to be the instigator in relationships mm -hmm. because it doesn't fully feel like the woman's free will instigating in general. Yeah. And I will say that I feel that in most of the animal wife tale types from like other places, the woman has a lot less agency, mm -hmm. which you could certainly interpret in a variety of ways for specifically the Japanese ones something that I read it's not in my notes but I read about this 
Japanese myth um, between Izanami and Izanagi, who were two gods, and Mm -hmm. Izanagi was the man, and Izanami, the woman, had to, or, like, she approached Izanagi, and then they, they, like, made babies. But then the first baby was, like, a leech, and it was told, like, your baby is, like, disgusting because she approached him instead of the other way around. That is interesting. That's like a very Sparknotes version, mm-hmm. but that's the gist. Okay, yeah. So that if that so there's is, like a, there's like a, a precedent trope thing. in Japan. Is yeah. yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, so I see how they would get this analysis mm-hmm. within the context of Japanese folklore and mythology. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing is that I also don't think the woman is the main one being punished in the story. I think it's more of the man being punished. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's losing his wife. Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot of livelihood. Like, he's getting a lot from the woman. She's bringing the rice. She's weaving the cloth that's bringing him lots of money and stuff. So, like, I really think, in general, like, the man's the one that's losing the most out mm-hmm. of the relationship. So, yeah. I, I that's why I also, why I don't see it necessarily as a punishment. But that context of that story is also very interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Makes that analysis make a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. So, one of my first thoughts with this tale is that it reminds me of stories that are common in mythology and folklore. But a couple where one of them is keeping a big secret and makes the other promise not to inquire. For example, you mentioned this already, Eros and Psyche from Greek mythology. And the French folktale of Bluebeard's Bride. In mm. the Greek myth... Eros hides his identity from Psyche and doesn't allow her to see his face so that she doesn't find out he's a god. When her curiosity leads her to find out his identity, she is punished. In the story of Bluebeard, he makes his wife promise not to open this one chamber in their manner, but when she does, she finds the dismembered bodies of his former wives. Mm -hmm. So at least one way you could read stories like this is sort of like curiosity killed the cat, like don't inquire into things you're told not to, or that you should blindly trust your spouse, like you mentioned before, the thing about don't cross boundaries that you're told not to cross. In C.J. Hauser's 2019 short story, The Crane Wife, The narrator goes to study the whooping crane after breaking off an engagement, and she talks about the folktale that the story is named after, briefly. She says, She hopes that he will not see what she really is, a bird who must be cared for, a bird capable of flight, a creature with creature needs. Every morning, the crane wife is exhausted, but she is a woman again. To keep becoming a woman is so much self-erasing work. She never sleeps. She plucks out all her feathers one by one. Later, it says, there are ways to be wounded and ways to survive those wounds, but no one can survive denying their own needs. To be a crane wife is unsustainable. Mm. So there are ways to read the story as sort of a moral to the husband that he should not betray his wife's trust, that he shouldn't have gotten involved with a beautiful woman with mysterious origins to begin with. I prefer to read it as a story about the crane who decides to turn into a woman only to have to destroy parts of herself in order to be with the man who saved her. Perhaps the crane wife feels a duty to the man who saved her and she wishes to pay back the debt, or perhaps she falls in love with him. Either way, I really enjoy C.J. Hauser's analysis of the crane wife is someone who has her own needs and desires that she hides, but the hiding parts of herself and destroying parts of herself is unsustainable, both for her own well-being and for her relationship. She spends so long erasing herself and denying her own needs that she hurts the both of them and has to fly away forever. It's an allegory that says you can't go too long pretending to be something that you aren't or the consequences will be dire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the lens I think that of Lart. a lot of sense. Yeah. So, in- I was just saying I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. In the lens of like the larger theme of stories like Cupid and Psyche or Bluebeard's Bride 
or even the Greek myth of Pandora. We can see the crane wife as another example of someone whose unsatisfied curiosity regarding their spouse ultimately leads them down a dangerous path. The American folklorist Boria Sachs takes it a step further, saying, Just as marriage between two people unites their families, so marriage between a person and an animal in myth and fairy tale joins humanity with nature. In this view, such tale types reflect this relationship between nature and the human world. It shows not just that it's unsustainable for a person to deny their individual needs, but that it's unsustainable for a member of the world of nature to belong in the human world. It shows a changing view of the relationship between humanity and nature, or between civilization and nature. As I mentioned before, animal life tales and folk tales in general rely on the gap between reality and fantasy. And in the case of the crane wife, it is shown that trying to bridge this gap is doomed to fail. The crane wife was never meant to live the rest of her life with a young man, regardless as to whether he found out the truth. The worlds are too different, and their needs and desires are too different. But even the fact that the crane wife needed to hide core parts of herself in order to be with a man clearly indicates the inevitable failure, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Unlike with the story of Eris and Psyche, the message seems to be that it isn't possible to live your entire life in a lie or denying or hurting parts of yourself. This is simply another type of doomed love that can't be sustained. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And I like that mm -hmm. a lot. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good message. And it was, you know, what I was thinking about earlier, like you can't hide entire parts of yourself. Relationships need to be open. And I think that the analysis of if you're in a relationship and you feel like you have to hide entire parts of yourself, the sh short story author whose name I can't remember. C.J. Hauser. Yeah, C.J. Hauser saying like, you know, to be a woman in a certain relationship, meaning you have to hide certain aspects of yourself is not sustainable and it's not a good way to be in a room romance and I think that's an important lesson to take away and remember when you're looking for romance is that you shouldn't look for someone who you have to hide whole parts of yourself from you need to like look for someone who will accept all parts of yourself and like embrace all parts of yourself and I think that's really important I agree and I also think that the gendered aspect of this story is also like not a coincidence like Mm -hmm. Even in Eros and Psyche, where the genders are reversed, it's still the woman who suffers. Like, Eros doesn't suffer anything, really, except that he, mm -hmm. I don't know, gets his feeling hurt, I guess. But, <laughs> I mean, he's the one who kidnapped her, by the way. Yeah. So, either way, same kind of deal. But, and then in most of the stories, it's the wife, the animal wife, who is the woman, and she's the one who suffers the, well, arguably, the one who suffers the most, having to pluck out her own feathers, having to like, you know, do all this stuff to hide from her mm -hmm. husband and, you know, basically living her life, trying to repay him just because he saved her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also interesting because like in the story of Eros and Psyche, eventually Psyche is triumphant. Like she has to go through a bunch of trials that Aphrodite sets in front of her in order to like prove herself whatever worthy of the love of Eros or whatever. Yeah. But eventually she succeeds and she's able to fully be with Eros and see him and look at him and like they're able to fully be together. But also she had to go through all these trials just because she dared to like want to see what her husband looks like. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's sort of a different message. It's like, mm -hmm. it's sort of more of a message of like the power of love conquering all and like yeah. the opposing forces as opposed to this one sort of being like this deception and dishonesty isn't sustainable it's like and also in Eros and Psyche wasn't it like more Aphrodite's influence being like she's not allowed to look at you because Eros was in love with her or whatever I don't know I don't recall maybe I'm making that up anyway maybe that's true maybe it's not either way it was more about like working to make the relationship work and overcoming the deception mm-hmm 
Whereas with the crane wife, it seems that it just didn't work out. It, the, the deception it was, was doomed to fail in the beginning. Yeah. And then I sort of am like going back to my idea of her being the crane queen and like she's the queen of the cranes. She's got other duties. True. She belongs in a different world. Yeah. She can't just run off with a guy and like neglect her subjects. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. She's got it. She's got duties to her people. And that so like eventually she probably would have had to go back anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting story. I yeah. obviously knew about it because of the December songs and albums. And <laughs> it seems like they followed the story pretty closely, at least. I think like the first story is the one that it's based on. But I think the first story where there isn't like a crane queen in an island is the one that's yeah commonly told. Mm-hmm. and i think they mentioned like an arrow at some point so mm-hmm. but i might have made that up i don't know i don't listen to lyrics as much <laughs> anyways <laughs> um just vibes anyway yeah but it's really interesting to hear like the origins the story the actual story and the analysis and all the analysis was super cool so thank you yeah and like we mentioned, the, um, the Crane Wife is the basis for, or a basis for the album, The Crane Wife by the Decemberists. There's also another band, which is called The Crane Wife. There's also a lot of references to The Crane Wife in anime, as I gather from Wikipedia. And there's a short story by C.J. Hauser, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice short story. It has very little to do with The Crane Wife, actually, but they mention her. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, leave us a review, tell all your friends how much you love it. We read all your reviews. We love them so much. Thank you. And we'll see you back here in two weeks for another episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. With the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.